pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Merit Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Corneliu Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. Uh, I'm Nick Rapol, the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and this is the latest in our Venice Film Festival series, um, where we've been seeing a lot of films in the competition, but also outside. Uh, we are going to talk about the past couple of days of films, um, but not just me. You won't just have to hear me prattling on. Uh, I'm very happy to be joined by... Jay Weisberg with Variety. Uh, and this is actually Jay's first time on the podcast. It is. Which is kind of unbelievable to me because I always read your your, your trade reviews and, <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, I always kind of admire how you bring a very high level of erudition to the, to them uh so considering like <laughs> the deadlines you. you have i was like oh okay <laughs> that's kind that's pretty amazing <laughs> um uh, and we are also joined by a, a veteran of the podcast at least at cam um christina newland i'm a freelance contributor to sight and sound and film comment a lot of other places so well without further ado let's let's jump right in we're actually going to catch up on a couple of films from the weekend uh that we didn't get to uh in our in our enormous lineup last time uh and the first i'd like to get into is wasp network um the olivier Assea film um and this is based on a book i'm forgetting the title off the top of my head um the second part of the title is the cuban five but the i cuban can't five. remember the first part of it well that's a good that's a good way that's a good way in it's about i'm gonna botch this because the movie ping pong like back and forth like different sides of like a of an espionage operation if either of you have like a very ready grasp of it i welcome a summary <laughs> i don't know if i have a ready grasp of uh-huh. it but um basically Around the time in the 90s when it looked as though the Castro regime was weakening considerably, um, anti-communist and anti-Castro Castro groups in Miami, a lot of like Cubans that defected that were based mm-hmm. there started up a espionage. Yeah. So, I mean, they're Cuban, what seem like defectors, but they're actually then running, op- running ops for Cuba in Florida, in Miami, right. against like um, various... Cuban American groups that are, are trying to run ops against Cuba. Exactly. But the funniest thing, not the funniest, but funny in the sense of strangest and what's distinctive about the movie is that it's not really like a spy thriller where the main interest is who's going to be, at least for me, who was going to be exposed when. Um, it kind of throws a bit of a curveball because it, it, it dives more into the, I guess, emotional toll and and becomes a kind of study in, in pride, I thought, um, of the various parties involved. So especially um, the defectors and, um, you know, h- how they're dealing with their spouses. Um, and I, I was not expecting that, really. Um, so that was very, very interesting for me. Um, but I'm not sure how it struck uh, struck either of you. I was disappointed. Aseas is, is a director whose work I love, and I love uh, the diversity of his mm. of his styles, of the genres that he chooses to tackle. So, of course, everyone was thinking this was going to be like Carlos. Right. Why? Because they both have Latin American ish <laughs> um, connections. So mm. even that was a bit tenuous. But um, it just felt to me like this was a mini series that was cut down mm. into a feature film because yeah. all of the different themes that you thought he was going to continue with. Mm-hmm. 
doesn't follow through. Characters drop out. Yeah. Um, halfway through, when the Gael Garcia Bernal character comes in, there's yeah. suddenly a voiceover that we've never heard before that's and true. a recap of all of the people that we've seen as if somehow right. that's the chapter stop for last week's episode. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I think that it's sort of admirable in that it tries to look at the, the wives and the women that are uh, often like the collateral damage or kind of left behind mm -hmm. or left in the dark by the, mm -hmm. the actions of their husbands. But it withholds certain information so that you're kind of in the dark with these women. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting yes. idea. Like it's a good gambit, but it also was kind of confusing, I think. And that's a problem. For and me. in the end, I had as much as I love Penelope Cruz as an actress and how and, and she does present a very strong female character. I wanted more. I wanted to understand more rather than just the fact that she's this wife who's been deserted and is patriotic for Cuba. There needed to be, for me, something that was going to make her, to give her depth that I never really found, apart from that sort of very um, solid presence that she gave the role. I know? guess for me, she's sort of the MVP because there's a certain, she doesn't acquiesce really easily. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas, you know, the other character played by Anna Darmas, who's the white Cuban-American wife of, uh, I mean, she doesn't know, but he's a, a spy for the Cuban government, um, yeah. who I think is sort of weak-willed in terms of like, he, he ends up becoming a bit of a playboy and gets seduced by the lifestyle of, you know, kind of mm. start making like drug smuggling money on the side. And then when the going gets tough and things start to get dangerous, he defects back to Cuba and leaves her completely. Um, but yeah. then we lose her character altogether. Which is sort of sad, and, and we lose his character too. That's, He's, he, yeah, that's they, true. they both completely disappear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it's funny with with SAS movies. Often I find myself saying, "Oh, well, that's on purpose." And I'm realizing that I do say that quite a bit with, with these movies. You know, <laughs> I do have to think sometimes it is. But you know, now that you've kind of charted out Jay with that about how it's it feels a little compressed and attenuated in different places, I do, I do see that, and and I kind of wonder what a longer, the longer version of this might look. The, like. In the press notes, he talks about how the budget was really, really tight. Ah, okay. So there's a part of me that wondered whether they really had shot a lot more okay. and then realized that they couldn't afford to... Right to continue with the the vision that they originally had and that's why it was cut yeah. that's a complete hypothesis on my part sure, all i know yeah. is that he says that the budget was really tight yeah. and if it wasn't for the fact that the cubans gave them full access mm -hmm. they would never have been able to shoot the movie yeah yeah it's frustrating i think in a way because it is a really fascinating era with so many different elements to mm -hmm. it and it's clear that you know he'd done so much research and he had this book that he's adapting and I'd imagine that trying to fit that much material mm -hmm into something is difficult but it definitely feels like it it suffers from that like it's it's like kind of under the weight of all this mm, information mm -hmm. it's trying to communicate yeah yeah it, it is a really interesting period though and that's something i do always admire that he's 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 always trying to take s some slice of of history whether it's a very thin slice of like the latest most recent thing uh like the personal shopper took you know this kind of uh, you know, sort of archaic ghost story, um, um, just general framework, but then used it to kind of tap into something much more c contemporary and modern. Um, and with this film, I, I just kind of fascinated with historicizing, basically, and in this case, historicizing this stretch of the 90s, where you think one type of history had ended, like the, the two-side history of the Cold War had ended, but really this was going on. Um, and I also like it somehow recording the history of espionage because it's it's always something that officially is not happening um and to to give it a face and to give it 
feelings as well and and not just like kind of like romantic feelings but the actual like what if these are just jobs and what kind of stresses do they put on on people um and yeah penelope cruz i love i don't want to give anything away but she has this moment of realization scene that is probably like the, one of the best I've ever seen of that kind of scene. But what you were saying about the historicizing of it, one of the things I like about Assez is I just find that he's so smart that he he's not partisan. He's looking at mm-hmm. both sides. He's trying yeah, yeah. to uh, get away from the rhetoric. So yeah. clearly living in Cuba is not a good place to be. Right. But yeah. at the same time, what's the, these terrorists in Miami who are trying to attack Cuba are also... yeah problematic and the insertion towards the end of that interview with Castro that Lucia oh, Newman yeah. does I thought was great because yeah. it's it's that time when you're thinking Castro's kind of doddering he's really not yeah. with it and yet Castro's totally on <laughs> yeah. the ball and what he says yeah. is absolutely cutting through it and saying yeah. and you watch it and you say yeah, yeah. Castro's right yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> about that about, about that. many other things <laughs> he's completely it was completely wrong yeah, but yeah. you know so yeah. I, I, re- I appreciated that too yeah it, it is it is interesting I mean yeah I mean in some ways he could couldn't pick a more inflammatory thing or incendiary topic to talk about you know like Miami and, and Cuban like relations is just among the most like contentious things you could pick right now um, especially I don't know at the terrible kind of flashpoint in history we are right now but no need to go into that um, but yeah so that's Wasp Network what else have we seen um, that, that we could talk about um, I mean one movie that we, we just showed today so we can serve it up fresh is uh, Martin Eden um, which is an adaptation of the Jack London novel uh, and here they say Martin Eden uh, um, which I think has a nice ring to it uh, and I thought this was a strong adaptation and to be totally honest haven't finished the book but so far it, 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 was, it felt very felt faithful and invigorating um, and very well cast for the protagonist uh, and it's basically it's about a sailor uh, who you know is sort of rough and tumble sailor who has a amazing writing ability that he's slowly discovering um, but then he gets kind of so he and he makes his entrance into intellectualized society and a cultured society through uh, a young woman in, in a bourgeois family um, but then he kind of gets processed in 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 uh, the I don't know contentious cultural and philosophical debates of the age as he gains in in, in fame um, that's kind of a very rapid sketch um, part of what's amazing about this movie is that it it touches upon like these pretty deep like currents of philosophical thought that I, you know, haven't really encountered since you know university. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it's like oh Herbert Spencer, he was what did he do? Okay, he was. Um, yeah, like Herbert Spencer is kind of a, is a plot point is basically it's a major, ma- plot, major point, plot point yeah. in the movie. Um, but I, I I appreciated it. Oh, and there are also formal things we can talk about that are very beautiful about the movie. Um, but Jay, what did you think of this? Um, I I admired it on a formal level very much, mm-hmm. even though I thought it was also a bit undisciplined. He he mm-hmm. was he's changing. Um, it, it's very influenced by a kind of Nouvelle Vague aesthetic. He has mm-hmm. lots and lots of inserts of found yeah. footage si- from silent era through up to the 1970s, which many of which I found fascinating. And and mm. because he shot on 16 millimeter, and clearly the the color grading was superb. Because there are yeah. moments when you can't quite tell yeah. what was shot now and what was an insert yeah. from the 1970s and I thought all of that was beautiful yeah. he got the tonalities right all of that mm-hmm. was great so I admired that and yet at the same time in terms of the narrative for me everybody was a stereotype mm-hmm. um, and I wanted them to be more real mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and another issue that I kind of had um, is Jack London himself apparently was critical of the kind of of some of the Herbert Spencer philosophy of the mm. individual is more important than the collective and I'm mm. sure that Pietro Marcello feels the same way but when mm. you watch the film you don't get that actually really? you get that libertarianism the individual mm. is is more important and this is what we need to be fighting for yeah. so I found that problematic as in I thought it was a misstep but I could be wrong about mm. that too it was mm. just my perception of it yeah I mean to be honest it's something I would have to watch again to really grasp the debates that are going on and and maybe go back to an old syllabus or two but uh, i mean but one thing i mean maybe this is because i was still digesting it but i almost felt that we were sort of seeing some of these philosophical schools of thought through um the main character through martin aden's um viewpoint in the sense that he's very he's an autodidact in the movie like he's sort of self self-taught they keep in the beginning they keep telling him you're gonna have to go back to primary school when it's very clear that he has this like voracious mind um but he's just, I feel like he's internalized and, and digested all these things for himself, for himself. So what he ends up putting out is not exactly the, like the fully, the full Spencer exactly. It's sort of his version of it or his spin on it or his analysis of it. Um, I'm not sure, but that, that's how I explained my confusion. <laughs> um, I think that's true to a degree, but then mm -hmm. when he falls under the influence of Ross... Oh, yeah. um, I can't remember the poet's right, last right, right. name, which yeah. is a sort of Scandinavian-ish sounding name. Yeah. When he falls under his influence, yeah. that seemed to have um, That's true. Yeah. pushed him onto a, a, a more uh, traditional track. Yeah, that's true. No, no, thinking. That, yeah. that is true, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, I very much agree about the... Um, the uh, simulation of like uh, older footage, and there's at one point where they they were they did tinting basically, and I actually just happened to interview him, and he says that those portions that look hand tinted were hand tinted. Yeah. I didn't I didn't I didn't realize I hadn't read the press notes. Um, it, he doesn't talk about oh, it he doesn't. The press oh, okay. notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you you, but you I must have identified it. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is, <laughs> this is a, okay. Can we do a, a brief asterisk like footnote here? But uh, Jay also programs. Uh, the, what's the title of the, the Portanone Silent Film Festival so. yeah I'm the director so <laughs> so, yeah. so silent film tinting and toning is yeah. kind of in my blood <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> and, it, and it looks beautiful you, it looks like suddenly yeah it's almost like it's partly like a silent film but also like you're looking at a postcard from the time like as if someone was flipping through cards in front of you so um, yeah it's uh, something to look forward to uh, what's I hate asking questions like this but I am kind of kind of curious for me it, it feels sort of like a strange competition not in a bad way but there are a lot of movies that are just odd uh and and i like that there's sort of some experimentation that doesn't feel like s failed experimentation to me um so that that seems like a good thing to me it's not just like a parade of i don't know the big titles you that you know people are positioning for the fall there are you know a couple of those but a movie like wasp network um i mean martin martin eden's kind of a different kind of film um but uh emma is, is another one that feels like He's really trying something, something new with it. Um, and The King, to an extent, is like that, too. Uh, the King is kind of an amalgam, I guess, of uh, Henry V and actual history yeah. and, and screenwriting. <laughs> yeah. I believe that they said that they wanted to kind of untangle some of the language of Shakespeare, which may mm -hmm. cause people, you know, some consternation. But yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think it's just not it's not slavishly devoted to yeah. either history or Shakespeare. I think it's kind of it, uh, its own thing. Yeah. And maybe, you know, with the involvement of Netflix and a cast of young actors like Timmy mm -hmm. Chalamet and Robert Pattinson, they're looking to get a younger audience or yeah. people that are 
going to be more interested in it if it's a little bit easier to understand amidst kind of 15th century manners and the way of speaking is very specific linguistic, you know, style. So I think it's actually surprisingly successful at what it does. Mm. Um, I think that they seem to be very, very aware of the potential pitfalls for like these kinds of historical Mm -hmm. films and the fact they get so caught up in the epic scope that they're often, um, you know, very either thinly plotted or really expository and like a clunky yeah. way um and they recognize that there's some silliness sometimes to these sorts of films mm-hmm. and they kind of embrace it it seems sort of fleet-footed in a way because it's aware of the fact that mm. it um you know it can kind of joke even a little bit at its own expense mm-hmm. yeah and the pattinson character particularly who comes in as the dauphin of france uh quite late into the film yeah as this kind of almost ridiculous foil for the timothy yeah. chalamet um young king henry character um, and then comes in and, and goes on this kind of uh, rant about the size of his manhood and, uh, you know, how he's going to drain the blood from all the Englishmen's bodies. And it's just this ridiculously over-the-top performance from him, which is great. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I, I didn't know what to make of it, really. It's, um, you know, the other most recent thing with Robert Pattinson that I saw was The Lighthouse. So, like, between these two things, he just he just seems to be, like, going all out. Um, yeah, that would be yeah. He and he has, I guess, must be like a blonde wig with these flowing locks that he's he's wearing. Um, I forgot to talk about the wig in um, Martin Eden. That, that, that must be a wig in the second half, right? That he's wearing or something. I mean, he just oh, suddenly has blonde hair. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't sure if it was a wig or if it was just dyed. And, yeah, and, I didn't know. And it was grown long and and swept. Yeah. in a very Italian. Yeah, yeah, way. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is the. This is uh, another wi- notable wig uh, <laughs> for those keeping track at home on the baseball scorecard. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a funny movie. It's a movie that really I really feel the tension of someone who's maybe now watched a lot of Shakespeare adaptations and movies and was really trying to like somehow steer his own path through all of them. Um, in New York, they were just showing uh, the Kenneth Branagh Henry V in seventy millimeter, you know, with whatever ten different film cans you know and um this is one that i i feel like david michaud the um, director is he's sort of scaling it down in a little because he's stripping away a lot of the grandiosity of the language i guess by avoiding a lot of the shakespeare and verse but dipping into it now and again um he seems to have directed timothy chalamet never to smile um uh, which I don't know. It's, I felt that way to me. It's, it sort of feels like what people tell Gal Garcia Bernal as well sometimes. This is a movie where you're not smiling. <laughs> and he's like, okay. But it doesn't entirely affect, because like, the two of them, you kind of associate a lot with a certain happy-go-lucky kind of like um, look. And so Chalamet becomes this serious, um, you know, very serious presence in it, uh, almost studious. Uh, I, I'm slowly revealing maybe I'm not so sure if I like the movie. <laughs> um, it's, yeah... It has a terrific uh, battle sequence, which seems influenced by maybe World War One battle sequences, just like a lot of mud and gray, yeah, um, and a lot of slipping around. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I have to, I have to think that I'm not so sure if Timothy Chalamet, or as much as I love him, Robert Pattinson really could carry um, what they were what they were doing. Pattinson just kind of took me out of it with the Pepe Le Pew sort of over the top French. It's a Marmite performance, for sure, from him. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, though. I think Chalamet, I read a few reviews where people were saying that he looked too contemporary. 
for the role, oh. which is actually kind of what I felt about Kristen Stewart and Seberg on a, on another note. Oh. But with him, mm. I, I think that he has a, a sort of old yeah. fashioned cast to the way he looks. Like he could easily be like a sort of tubercular 19th century <laughs> yeah. aristocrat or something. And he just as easily yeah. like a sort of rebellious boy prince. Yeah. I think I can, I can buy him. I see as that. that. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see that. Yeah. Uh, maybe he can play like a, I don't know, kind of a runty Roman emperor next or something. <laughs> runty <laughs> Roman emperor. I don't know. Maybe that's the next thing. We need a new Caligula. Yeah. We do need a new Caligula. That must, that must be in the work. It's going to be like 40 years to the dot. Was it 79 or is it 78 or something? I forget. I don't remember. It's surprising. I remember. I know I saw it in 1984. It was Eight a memorable four. screening, but that's okay. all I can remember. I can definitely imagine Raffin trying to remake That'd be a separate podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> memorable screenings. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? I could imagine Raffin trying to remake Caligula. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. You might have something there. Right as scared as I am of that prospect, you might have something there. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Married Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. So that was the king. That was actually out of competition. I don't know. If, I never know what the rationale is sometimes for that. In that case, I really don't because, I don't know, it seems to have a weight to it. So, Is it that, this is my first Venice, so I, I can't yeah. really speak on you know that, but mm-hmm. is it that with out of competition, there's often a little bit of an expectation that the films just aren't going to be quite there, not quite as good. Is that, yeah. is that right? Or? I don't know. I, I think that's what... When we look for a rationale, I think that's the rationale right. we normally choose. But at the same time, there are a lot of times that I ask the same thing. Why is that here? Was yeah. it a late edition? Were they not convinced it was going to be ready in time? And so, right. but it's all, th- those are all um, uh, guesses. Yeah, yeah, conjecture, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Zama being the bizarre example of, I don't know if that was out of competition, just not in competition. But anyway, mm. I, I've beaten that drum too much already in past podcasts. Um, so that's the king. Uh, I I think maybe we could talk about Emma, uh, which is a Pablo Larraín movie. I'm sorry, I'm mangling a lot of names here. I do my best. Um, and this is a sort of a change of pace. The biggest change of pace, maybe since No, I guess, um, for him in the sense that he's he has a different a different tone to it, um, and he his kind of steel trap structure that he has or plotting that he has to his movies. It's Mostly not in effect, uh, without saying too much, um, but it it just it's very much like a portrait of a, a, this very interesting um, representative of, of a younger generation um, whose like sexual and cultural mores uh, the film is trying to figure out. The film is trying to think through. Is trying to see through uh, through her. It's all grounded in in. A, she's a dancer. She's in a choreography troupe a dance troupe uh, that's led by gail garcia bernal's character uh who i guess is a little older and kind of more controlling like this is his dance troupe and wants people to fall in line and she uh kind of embraces dance with more of a i don't know if i say dionysian i already sound like an old man but more of like a (laughs) i don't know just freer energy um and uh reggaeton is is the particular type of like music uh and and dance with it that they that they are embracing she and her friends um, and she's like this, I don't know, she's, she's like this free radical, <laughs> basically, that's changed the lives of people she runs into, 
um, one of those people who kind of immediately people start like opening up to, which is the type of person I really love because <laughs> I'm fascinated by that. Um, and so that leads her different paths and different um, rendezvous and affairs. Um, and I, I was, I liked it even when I felt, uh, I don't know, even when I felt it felt a little too much like it was a study of this this kind of specimen. I don't know. But uh, Jay, this is when you saw, right? Yeah, I yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't engage with it as much as I wanted to. I think it's mm-hmm. the first Lorraine film I've seen that I didn't really oh, yeah. completely engage with. There are things that I admired about it. Mm-hmm. I love what he does with the dance sequences, mm-hmm. um, the whole concept of motion and mm-hmm. and and rhythm, and um, the backdrops that he uses for the dance oh, yeah. sequences as well. Just mesmerizing, yeah. and. And I know that, I mean, he, he's presented, this isn't giving anything away because at the very beginning of the film, we learn that oh. this is a woman who's given up her adopted child. Right. So she realized she can't be, she can't <laughs> be a mother, a good mother. So she gives him up. Um, so you're, he's instantly setting that on the table and forcing us in a way to say, this is not a monster or this is a monster. Mm. So I found that really interesting because I can't imagine, I can't remember oh, yeah. ever seeing that scenario anywhere else um i can't imagine it happens very often but Mm. um that and that made me want to that intrigued me even more it made me want to know more and in the end she Mm. still remained fairly enigmatic for me Mm. um so somebody was telling me that they felt that it was as if lorraine himself wasn't quite sure where he was going with it and Mm. just decided to go with it yeah, and and to make it very instinctually, I'm not quite sure that one can really do that in a major film mm-hmm. because it you've got a lot of people <laughs> who are right. working on the film at the same time. It's not just the director, of course. So I don't know, but I thought that was an interesting theory to hmm. to pursue. Yeah, yeah, I I could, I could see that. That's the kind of I don't know Terrence Malick syndrome, <laughs> maybe a little bit where you're kind of sometimes it's amazing, sometimes it doesn't really work entirely. Um, yeah, I mean, I I kind of took her as it's tough because I want to start describing how I was viewing it, and then I start to sound like I'm like romanticizing the, her character. But but she did feel like this character that was resistant to being kind of contained. You know, there's one other interesting device they have that <laughs> periodically to literally vent, I guess, uh, she goes out with a flamethrower uh, into the streets of Valparaiso, which is where it's all shot, um, and just sets fires to things. You know, I'm just something she does. And it's mesmerizing. Uh, and it's mesmerizing. Yeah, I mean the opening shot, you know, one of the best opening shots of, of let's just say this festival, for example, is just a burning streetlight just hanging, and you know, it's yeah, an image automatically opens up a number of questions, uh, and yeah, that's sort of a recurring motif of of the flames, and so I just took her to be that kind of force just kind of a force and yeah i mean she introduced she has kind of her own she comes with her own like greek chorus a little bit of her friends who uh when they're together periodically they have these conversations where they're just kind of i don't know laying bare laying something bare basically you know there's this amazing like exchange between them um or i guess one of her friends and gal garcia bernal's character about reggaeton which is I, w- I would love to quote it. It's just this exact like distillation of like pro and con of like reggaeton. <laughs> um, it's like this perfect little cultural analysis sidebar. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it. There is something a bit am- amorphous or s- about the character, but I, I still still felt it 
felt it was compelling. I mean, in fact, the thing I thing I felt that kind of put a cap on the movie in a way I didn't quite like was the ending, which I won't I won't reveal. But it's didn't love it. I don't know. It just it sort of seemed to crystallize things and instantly make it a little less interesting mm. because because of what it does to, to her motivations or at least what you might think her motivations are. Um, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. Did any 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 other other thoughts on Emma or that was? Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I was just going to say, yeah. I think that Lorraine's interest in women uh, and how they fulfill expected roles and mm. their public personas and identities is like a really kind of interesting hmm. topic. I just wondered how much Emma's kind of looking at somebody that can't possibly fulfill the role of mother or, mm. you know. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, that is interesting. Looking yeah. forward to seeing it. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Gal Garcia Bernal character is no prince either uh, <laughs> in that one. So let's talk about one more competition film and then maybe uh, one from, from one of the sidebars. I don't know. I shouldn't call them sidebars. One of the other sections. <laughs> uh, and that would be About Endlessness, uh, which is the Roy Anderson movie. Um, Roy Anderson won the Golden Lion a few years ago for his last film here. A pigeon sitting on a branch or something like that. I know he just refers to it as pigeon. I interviewed him and he just called it pigeon. So I'll just call it pigeon. <laughs> it's acceptable. Yeah. I can never get the title exactly right. Yeah. And yeah, me neither. Um, so um, on on endlessness about en- endlessness, was it endless? It's about seventy minutes long. So it, it was, was like not. A, so yeah, it was like a beautifully <laughs> slim little gift of a festival film. Yeah. Um, and I have not been a huge Anderson fan in the past. I thought mm. Pigeon was, you know, sometimes things just aren't for you. And I think that <laughs> his particular sense of humor sometimes just left me very cold. Um, but this one really moved me. Like I thought it was really beautiful and it was um, able to be about some very big philosophical ideas about faith and about people losing faith in mm. God and about the idea that um, you know, almost like, people's energy transferring between mm. you know there's, there's one segment where they talk about like in your next life you can come back as a potato like just kind of that like really kind of dealing with stuff that should seem um if it was any other filmmaker to be really really ambitious stuff but with him yeah. the way he does these kind of little mosaics these like tiny little scenes um of of characters some of which are really incidental you know a woman who's pushing a pram in a city and her heel breaks mm-hmm. and she's got to sit down and figure out what she's going to do um, yeah. or a, a man tying his little girl's shoes in the rain, um, or, you know, cutting back to war-torn Berlin in a Nazi bunker as, as yeah. you know, you know the, the ceiling is shaking and dust is falling down. And um, his capacity to kind of link these things is amazing to me because like, these kind of ideas that dovetail um, through like one or two sequences will be, it sounds sort of so um, almost schmaltzy to say, but the way that love is this kind of um, conquering thing in the face of, of godlessness or godless universe. Mm. Um, and the way that he films things, this kind of intentionally stilted, um, slightly humorous at times, but also remarkably kind of um, like oddly blocked people with their backs to the camera, their faces yeah. turned away from the camera, makes it so that you know, you move towards it emotionally rather than it moving towards you. And mm. it, it's able to take those ideas and use them in a way that doesn't feel incredibly tired. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. No, it is interesting how it, it, it collapses like a number of different aesthetics. I mean, the, there's, you know, just the kind of deadpan blackout 
um, tableau thing that I mean a number of filmmakers and, and lesser filmmakers and have and I feel like it was a festival fashion for a while in the 2000s um, to, to do that I, it was this one guy like Benedict Fliegholf who did like a couple of those I feel like that were like like that and then I don't know um, but also just uh, actually like a cartoonist like he's like a, a filmic cinematic cartoonist in the sense of like these I'm thinking more comic strips that weird um, slipstream you get in a comic strip where it's like let's say it's like Calvin and Hobbes but it's like four panels and then all of a sudden though like there's some just harrowing existential truth that you're hitting by the end of it you know that you didn't know was there and, it, and it's like a, a talking stuffed cat you know but but it's I, I, I get that from him as well, that, that weird access that, that some um, co- comic strip artists are able to, to get. Because uh, this is, yeah, this is one, a lot of them, not a lot, but you know, a few of these are kind of punchline things. Um, but because of the, the bleakness and, and the coloring, and um, he actually had, and th- it also intersects a little bit with the aesthetic of like clowns, because he, he like makes everyone up with, with, with uh, or a lot of them up with kind of, a kind of pale um, makeup, I think. It's what he like said once in an interview. Yeah, and, and a number of them, yeah. Um, and everything's kind of denatured in, in its coloring as well. Um, so, yeah, it all adds up to, to something that... It's like the rabbit... What is it? The rabbit-cat picture. It's constantly going between, like, bleakness and, uh, you know, a, a bleakness and, and deadpan comedy and back and forth. Um, yeah, the there's a... All the sequences with doctors are amazing. <laughs> Just across the board, this dentist and the doctor. I don't know. The fact that it can have you sort of um, on the verge of tears and then kind of laughing at yeah. it and then filled with deep existential dread within the course yeah. of a few moments is really something. Yeah. I think he's such an unpredictable filmmaker in spite of having yeah. a style which is, you know, pretty uh, unique and, and, and consistent. Like he, I just never know what he's going to do. Yeah, and I think he avoids being glib for lack of a better word which is something that I think happens in some of his previous films somehow he falls into a bit of a rut um, and he even repeats a couple of images in this film I mean there's stuff here from I think like songs from the second floor like they do the what's it called the the uh, carrying across to the streets that kind of post-apocalyptic imagery is, is in this one um, but it, it's I don't know things are used to different purposes um, and I was actually keeping, I can't find in my notes now, but I, I was actually counting the number of shots just because I was, I was, I was curious. I, it's really like, I think it adds up to something in the 20s for the entire film. Mm. It's really like yeah, maybe 25, something like that. There's one bit with this priest who's losing his faith about to do a mass <laughs> yeah. uh, and like drinking the communion wine mm-hmm. and the camera's um, left in the back room. There's an open door and it's showing him, um, you know going through I can't think what I, I'm a, I was raised Catholic I should oh. know what this is and I can't remember what the word is for it when he oh, gets yeah, communion yeah. is that communion yeah, yeah yeah right 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 um, yeah. yeah and it's just wonderfully how, how it's like it's set back but we're yeah. still kind of watching him as he kind of slightly like staggers to the left because he's had yeah. too much wine and yeah, yeah. It's, it's this yeah it's this weird kind of not like fisheye but just slightly bent it's like what happens in some Tsai Ming Liang movies where it's just like this sort of dent, dented kind of um, perspective. Uh, I don't know how to call it. Um, it's interesting. Um, yeah. So about endless. I mean, I saw that and I thought. I. I mean, he already won a Golden Lion, but I could kind of see this one getting some sort of prize just because it's it's so compacted to still. And I hate overselling things, so I hope I'm not overselling because <laughs> Jay has, has gonna, is going to see it. Um, 
Are there any any other films that we might want to just uh, highlight that don't have the benefit of the competition spotlight? So there's one on the I think it's Orizonte part of the program um, called Blanco and Blanco. It's a Chilean film. Um, I think the filmmaker is called Theo Court. And basically, he got the idea for it after seeing some photography of a genocide uh, in the late 19th century of some uh, of a native tribe. And he was wondering, at this era, like right at the start of photography, basically, who was this person who was taking photographs of such, you know, this horrific scene? And how were they involved in the events that were going on in this particular island? I can't recall the name of it, but there's this sort of island um, in Chile where, where this happened. Um, and so he imagines the life of that photographer at that moment, uh, him coming there to photograph a rich landowner's wedding to a child bride mm-hmm. uh, and kind of watching as the miners and the farmers of that area from Chile uh, encroach on the native people's land and actually are encouraged to hunt native people and collect ears and things like that for pay. Um, so it's pretty shocking stuff. Uh, and the film is really, um, it, it is, it can be a little plottingly paced at times. Um, and it's a very punishing watch. Um, you know, you're talking about genocide, rape, uh, you know, the destruction of, I think there, I was reading online after watching the film and I think maybe 200 people uh, belong to this tribe are alive today. So, mm. you know, they were basically successfully exterminated. But, um, I think the film is not just a big learning experience, because it was certainly something I knew nothing about, but also a really interesting treatise on um, the position of photography and film in its earliest days in the, mm-hmm. in the idea of being a passive observer, in the idea of um, exploitation of women, exploitation of natives, exploitation of people of color. Yeah, I think there are some really interesting ideas swirling around in it. It's not formally mm. perfect, but I think it's worthwhile. Mm. And and your moral center through all of that is Alfredo Castro. Yes, is all, yes, <laughs> is this photographer who becomes obsessed with the child bride he's photographing, which is a yeah. whole other uncomfortable thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, there's a, a beautiful Tunisian film called A Son by a first-time director named Mehdi Barsawi, and um, it's a film about a, a couple who are driving in the south of Tunis, Tunisia in in um, uh, a few years ago, I think it's 2011, uh, and their son gets hit by a sniper bullet. They rush him to the hospital and he needs an organ transplant. And when they do the tests to find out who's b- compatible of the two parents, they discover that the father actually isn't the biological father. Uh-huh. Um, and if you just present it that way, the way that I've said it, you think, oh, it kind of sounds melodramatic. It, mm-hmm. it could be soap opera-y. It, not at all. It's so beautifully calibrated. Mm. It's so clear about giving space to the man and to the woman, to the, to the grief of this, to how they're coping, to the hospitals in, in, in Tunisia, uh, which come off quite well, actually, to, for the most mm. part. Um, but yet there's also an overlay of, because back then in 2001, 2011, excuse me, there were still laws which have since been revoked. And so it, it, certain things are easier now than they were then. Mm. But um, it's, it's, it's cinematic, it, it's beautifully acted, and... Um, I think it's for me one of the breakout films that oh. we'll be seeing from Venice of the out of, out of competition. Oh, great! That's great. 
Wait, sorry, which section again was that in? Uh, uh, the film is in the horizon section, Horizonte. Okay, good. Okay, that's one to, to catch up with. Um, and I think that brings us to the end. I do just want to mention, in case people are curious, because uh, I know I was, um, but I saw a couple films that I guess I'll, were just differently outrageous, in <laughs> just borderline ridiculous. Uh, one of them was The Painted Bird, uh, which I uh, is adaptation of Gerzy Kaczynski. Gerzy Sklomowski, no? Yeah, yeah. Novel. I this is I, this movie. I, I don't even know how how to get into it. Just uh, it puts this a boy a character uh, a, a kind of a, a fugitive boy in World War Two. I I don't even know. Can't wrap my head around that movie. Has everything and too much. Um, that and then. I don't know. I don't want to beat up on it, but I saw the Adam McGoyan film, which is here. And I just, it's a movie I had to finish watching just, <laughs> just to see how, how bad and how, how, I don't know, just how far it would go. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's, it was, it was the height of folly. I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> um, but you know, see it for yourself. Um, so yeah, well, that brings us to the end of our latest episode. Um, in case you're wondering what the background noise is, it's a combination, especially a handcraft combination <laughs> of, um, just talking in the Giardini, which is this kind of cafeteria area outside the main theaters. You're also, you might also be picking up some boat motors, um, and, and birdsong. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's our story. Thanks for listening. And thank you so much to uh, my guests, uh, Jay and Christina. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Angie. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Merit Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.